You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Hey folks, welcome back to On the Run. Want to let you know before we go ahead and start, I'm actually on the run. I'm, I'm in Milwaukee for some business for a couple of days and I brought my mic with me. It was a cheap travel microphone that actually ended up breaking. So I tried to use my headset mics only to use the earbuds and long story short my audio isn't great but it gets uh, I, I end up fixing it halfway through so uh mine's gonna be a little scratchy at the beginning our guest today josh withrow his is great so you know get this is this is the cost of a free product if you want to go ahead and help me get another microphone join uh wall plus on uh patreon that's wall plus w-a-l plus on Patreon, so patreon.com slash wall plus. Help support wall, especially as we're getting hit by Facebook and YouTube alike, and we need to support independent media. But speaking of uh, independent media, tough conversations on complicated issues. Say we're talking about what individual states are doing as they're attempting to try and, as they put it, rein in big tech. The good, the bad, and the uncomfortable in between that Josh and I bring up. Uh, my guest today, Josh Withrow, good friend of mine. Um, you have heard him before. Josh is a smart guy. He's currently the director of technology for policy for the national for the National Taxpayers Union Foundation. In this role, he researches and writes on things focusing on how public policy can best enable rather than stifle growth and innovation in the tech sector. Josh knows what he's talking about. I mean, previously he served as as the senior policy analyst at FreedomWorks. That's where I first met Josh when I was an intern there, way yonder back, and the director of policy at Free the People. Hell yeah, we all love Free the People here. And has published research and analysis of policies and legislation across a wide spectrum of issues. So go ahead, sit back, relax, grab a cold one or not cold one, your your drink, your choice, and enjoy today's show. Hello, Josh Withrow. It's been a minute. No kidding. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to see you again. It's been way too long. It's it's only, you know, realistically been like a year, but in COVID years, that's at least a good decade. Yeah, the, the before time, the long, long ago does feel like a long time ago. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to go back to something like normal again, even if everyone else is not. Uh, you know, I think at the time, I think this is coming out like in a week or so. But at the moment of recording is the official one year anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. How did you celebrate? I celebrated by being at home where I've worked for the past year and um yeah, that's about it. Yeah. 
I just want to point out, and you know, I, I don't have a bone to pick or anything, but you didn't know I was doing a show until I read an article that you published about a week ago. And I was like, hey, you want to come on and talk about it? Since this is apparently a type of thing that people only want to listen to me for. And that really made me feel like I've just failed in all my marketing. So the fact that you did not know about this, somebody I've known for a long time, that means that I have, I have completely failed the internet. But folks, I bring this up to say I'm shaming all of you right now because We Are Libertarians as a network was removed from Twitter and we also had our Facebook group disabled. With all that to say, it's been a tough week. It's been kind of weird. I landed in Milwaukee at the time of recording. I'm in a very nice hotel. All the places are basically locked down, so I went to go grab some Mexican food. Let's just say Milwaukee's a nice city, but no one come here, comes here for the Mexican food. I get off the plane. I hear about this. It's tough. So please, do me a favor. Subscribe to the newsletter so that way you never miss a thing. Remso.substack.com. And make sure to bookmark wearelibertarians.com so you can go ahead and get conversations like this today. And Josh, I forgive you. You're my friend. Mea culpa. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. But with all that to say, um, your, your piece that you went ahead and published, I'll go ahead and link to the article in the show notes today. The title is State Content Moderation Bills Create Constitutional and Practical Challenges. Um, I'm glad that somebody finally talked about it because this has been my impression as a social media professional looking outward. Um, I see a lot of these states like Florida and others saying that they're going to go ahead and start putting restrictions on the type of content that, mo- that you know, uh, it gets moderated on Facebook and Twitter. And I see that and I'm like, you know, the intentions might be there, but realistically for me, at least in my opinion, this looks like a giant campaign fundraising opportunity. And uh, realistically, you know, I'm seeing a lot of really smart people, really bright, special people, beautiful people who are celebrating this. And I'm like, guys, this is, this is like treating a, a bullet wound with a, with a Band-Aid because it's not going to make things better. And it's just going to make everything more complicated. And when things get more complicated, nothing good happens. So kind of, you know, give us a lay of the land of what the current state of affairs is when it comes to this right now. Because I see a lot of conservatives cheering it. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, guys, come on. What's going on here? Yeah, uh, I, I just I want to start by saying that I, you know I want to start this conversation by somewhat divorcing the battle the 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 state content moderation uh, fight from you know efforts to to rein in content moderation of social media federally and the reason for that being uh, is you know the internet is not a it's not a business that you walk into. It's not a place where you can go up to a physical location and be like, I'm going to regulate you in this state this way and not somewhere else. You know, we interact with each other like we're doing right now over the internet uh, without regard for state's borders. And so when you attempt to, as a state, um, you know, granularly dictate to a company that operates worldwide, how they have to behave uh, with respect to what content they allow on their sites and what content that they don't. If you start creating conflicting standards between different d- different states, it's going to, you know, it's going to turn into a nightmare for these companies. And, and people may not have a lot of sympathy for these companies, given the way that, uh, that, you know, places like Twitter and Facebook have been, have been, uh, you know, pulling down what they consider to be fake news, where clearly, uh, clearly with a with a sort of left-leaning bias. Um, and so, you know, it, it's understandable that people are upset about how they are how running their businesses. But the what I'm trying to point out in this piece that I wrote is that the the result of doing this sort of state level content moderation is very likely not going to be what conservatives uh, either think it will be or what they desire. Uh, there's two 
two sort of really uh, devastating consequences this could have if you get a state, a bunch of states creating a patchwork of uh, of social media content moderation laws. Uh, oh, the first is if you try to moderate uh, via categories, like saying that you can't, you can't, you have to be neutral in how you police political speech in particular. Florida's bill, for example, which which actually grants special privileges to politicians and their social media profiles that ordinary people don't get, which is that's that's problematic in and of itself. That, that sounds that sounds kind of sketchy. Yeah, but when you when you do that, uh, the incentive of companies at that point is going to be okay. Political speech is dangerous. If we moderate content improperly, so that it's even perceived as bias, we could be you know we could be liable for dam- for damages for uh, expensive lawsuits. Their incentive at that point is to pull political speech or to just not allow political candidates to have political pages on the, on, on their website. Um, conversely, if you start trying to hit the, uh, the, uh, hit the companies for say their algorithms being biased or, or for, um, or trying to require them not, you know, to be neutral and how they police uh, other speech, not by category, but, but um, you could also have the opposite effect, which is that um, companies decide, you know what, Okay, fine. We're just not going to moderate speech automatically or to the same extent at all. We're going to pull back because every moderation decision that we make could theoretically open us up to some sort of litigation or or punishment. And I think conservatives tend to forget or people at large tend to forget that uh, there's an awful lot of the content on the internet that we should be incredibly grateful does not pop up on our on our news feeds for the most part unless some friend of ours introduces it there. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the real problem that we have here is that conservatives are expecting these platforms to act on a, basically a first amendment, uh, standard of how, of who they allow on their platform and who they don't. And forgetting that the first amendment is a standard that applies to governments and not to companies, even if they're so large that sometimes they seem like the government. I mean, the the thing that has bothered me primarily over the past couple of years. I, I've told the story before, but I'll say it again. One of the reasons why I was so excited to work with a company that will not be named, anyone that's listened to me for more than two seconds will go ahead and understand that for legal reasons. But one of the reasons why was because when I was at the Washington Times, I did not feel that they were treating us as equal players in the media space, despite spending almost as much, if not more money than some other, um, you know, center left media publications. And I saw that as, you know, us being less of a client producer relationship and more of us just being allowed to digitally share crop. And I think, you know, people, people get a little bit uncomfortable with that term, but I mean, I, I do truly mean it in its fullest sense. People go ahead and they spend many years and a lot of money building up profiles and accounts for their businesses and their organizations and their projects. And then, you know, they they get really offended when they go ahead and get removed or they get certain stuff restricted. And maybe maybe it's justified, you know, in 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 their feelings. I you know, I've had that happen to me. I'm still seeing it going on with uh, my colleagues and coworkers right now. It's a bitch. But that's also why we tried to divest as much of our time and energy as possible. Because if we don't own the product, we become the product itself. And it's like with my father, for example, 
you know, and I'll, I don't want to call him out, but this is a really good example that I don't think a lot of people realize. My father is a very right of center person and he's on Facebook a lot. He admits that it's a problem and he talks to people about it. He's like, you know, the one thing I really want to do is just get off Facebook entirely one day. And he will watch videos that are from Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, showing just the world burning and all these things. What's Facebook keeping away from you while he's watching it on Facebook and everything else? And he's just like, why isn't the rest of the world see what I see? It's almost as if all my liberal friends don't see any of this stuff. And I see it. And I'm like, because it's a tailor-made experience. What you've done is you've created your own world because your liberal friends, dad, aren't seeing that. And you're not seeing their stuff either. What we've done is we've we've become victim to our own convenience. And that that's the big thing that a lot of people don't understand because it's an inconvenient truth. Don't sue me, Al Gore. The inconvenient truth is, is that, yeah, we can go ahead and get the Josh Hollies of the world and the Lindsey Grahams and all these other people, uh, you know, federally do their thing. And, and, you know, everyone's talking about the federal stuff. I don't want to get into that today. But, you know, at the state level, it's almost just as dead ended. It's like there's only so much they can do within their legal authority without having to go ahead and create more powers for themselves which are just going to complicate things for the rest of us, people outside of those states, because that will inevitably happen. So I, I keep seeing this, and there are a lot of good intention people trying to make an argument for it, but at the same time, it's like, guys, you don't fix a situation by creating another problem to overshadow the existing problem. Yeah, uh, and you know, as someone who is generally speaking uh, very strongly a proponent of handling things at the state level and not at the federal level, it you know that it always a little bit of conflict to 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 be criticizing the states for trying to solve their own problems here, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's this recognition that with a sort of cross-border, you know, non-geographically specific service like these internet uh, um, services that we're talking about. Um, you know, creating a patchwork, um, functionally speaking, because the companies are going to have to have one standard eventually, uh, because these users, you know, they, they're you know, unless unless they're just tracking all of their all of their users' um, locations and like balkanizing the internet via state, which is another thing that is theoretically possible, but I would assume we would not desire. Uh, is that you know it creates essentially a race to the bottom on, on regulations. You see this in data privacy, where a lot of the way that social media that, that companies are behaving with respect to uh, the the privacy of data is is kind of boiling down to um, what California the law that California has passed. Uh, similarly, if you can if you create competing standards in uh, social media content moderation, you know you're going to have. Conservative states like Utah, which just passed actually a content moderation law that is waiting for the governor to sign it into law, so that becomes the first one. So you they also did pass that. What's, what's that? So, so they they actually passed that in their state assemblies. That it, it, it is it is it is all everything is it's you know we're hoping that the governor might uh, might decide maybe this was a step too far and veto it, but in lieu of that, it will become law in July. And similarly, on the other side, you have Colorado, which just introduced a bill. I'm not sure if it's going to move. Not sure if it's not probably. Probably, I'm hoping it wouldn't pass. But um, where they're actually asking social uh, media companies to police free speech more, they want companies to be uh, liable if they fail to take down adequate amounts of what they call hate speech and misinformation, which they don't very, which they really don't define. So it's completely arbitrary. You can just, a company can be sued for 
whatever whatever the state regulators think constitutes hate speech. And I mean, I don't think I have to like elaborate on why that's dangerous as hell for not only free speech but also like the existence and operation of these companies on the uh, on on their part. But if you have conflicting regulations that these companies have to uh, that that have to operate under like that, uh, assuming of course that these laws aren't all struck down in the courts, this is this is a hypothetical world because I do think they will all get struck down in courts. But uh, the companies would have to you know settle on some sort of mediocre bottle uh, common denominator that would probably involve. Uh, strongly restricting who can post on their sites and what they can post because they don't, you know, they they don't want to be allowing uh, their their website to look like 4chan, uh, which is very lightly moderated to be put to put it super generously and contains That's a lot of content very, that very generous that is not user friendly, but at the same time they that don't. Is like th- the, that is like Somalia compared to the stuff that Parler was accused of getting away with. Right. Yeah. As I say, our uh, I say our mutual our mutual former colleague Patrick Hedger calls it the Mogadishu of the internet, and I think. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty fair. <laughs> you know, so, so that's the thing is like content moderation at scale. This is something that my tech dirts Mike Masnick likes to repeat like a mantra. Content moderation at large scale is hard. It is really hard because every decision, even if the company isn't intending to screw over one group over another, is going to be subjective. And what constitutes neutrality, what constitutes bias, um, what constitutes you know uh, harmful misinformation as opposed to simply people you know uh, sharing satire and 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 uh, and shit posting is 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 inherently subjective. And there's no algorithm in the world you can design that can take that away. And it means that not everybody's going to be happy with how they police their platforms. I, um, and I mean, that's one of the things that just completely boggles my mind. I'm going to try and share the screen with you real fast. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. See folks, you come here and, and we learn stuff live and, uh, that's not happening. You know what, Josh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to send you this through messenger. I want to talk about the meme that got, we are libertarians in trouble. I know you didn't prepare for this, but I mean, I think this kind of adds to my point. One second. I've never thought I'd have to save a JPEG that said Dahmer on my laptop, but that just happened. <laughs> you're, you're, you're living live with us folks. Just be in the moment. Just love it. But this is an example of why I, you know, I, I do say, and I say this much to chagrin, much to the chagrin of some of my more right-leaning friends. Okay, I just sent it to you. But you know, Facebook's problem isn't that they're like an evil empire necessarily. Their biggest problem is that they're just a terrible business. And um, did, did you get the image? I did. Okay, I've seen so, that one. So it's Jeffrey Dahmer eating at five guys, he's eating a cheeseburger, and it says, I don't think there's actually five guys in this. And it was, um, you know, basically flagged because it apparently didn't follow our community standards because apparently cannibals must be a predicted class or something. But here's the thing. It used to be, and prior to 2016, this is something that I used to credit Facebook. It used to be you could appeal it, and there's a person there. Here's part of the problem in trying to basically pass the book of responsibility to either other individuals or other third parties, whether they're governments or other companies. In 2016, uh, Mark Zuckerberg brought in a ton of conservatives, a ton of great people like my, my former boss, Brent Bozell from MRC. And he told them, you know, uh, we don't intentionally want to go after conservatives and all this other stuff. You know, we understand that we had some 
you know, human factors involved, you know, intrinsic bias. And what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and bring in more algorithms. And basically, they've been outsourcing more and more of their responsibility to these new algorithms to spot hate speech and flag content and dangerous content and everything else. Uh, Zuckerberg and even Jack Dorsey have brought it up before the Senate. And they keep saying, well, you know, we're just going to go ahead and keep bringing in more algorithms in here. And the thing is, of that meme, for example, um, Chris Spangle, the network director of We Are Libertarians, he's appealed that and he, he appeals for memes all the time. And, you know, in terms of libertarian talking space on the Internet, I know some of us like myself might seem like assholes. But the truth is, we're not really putting out what most people by societal standards would be extremely edgy content. Like no one is getting thrown out of helicopters. We're making fun of Jeffrey Dahmer. And this is one of those situations where it's like as a business, if I wanted to go ahead and start a, com a competing social, social media company, that's one thing right there. At least when you appeal it, you're going to talk to a person. And there are many other really bad things about Facebook. Their, their ad network is terrible. If you want to go ahead and actually get a representative um, from Facebook or Twitter to go ahead and help you and teach you how to optimize your account or anything, you have to spend like a quarter of a million dollars or more within a year. So from a business sense, I, I've been looking at this for years and I'm like, a lot of this stuff is really basic. But for some weird reason, no one's really been able like, you know, stick the landing on this. So I keep looking at this and it's like, yeah, uh, we could make the arguments for them being a monopoly and all these other things. But at the end of the day, you don't have to do much to be better. You just have to not be evil. And that's good enough for the most part. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like at the same, on the one hand, I, I, I get mad at Facebook too, for some of the stuff that they take down. And on the other hand, I, I do have a certain level of sympathy for them because no matter what they do, they can't win. I mean, this 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 whole thing really started um, with the content moderation, really started with the left being pissed off at social media, like you referenced, after the 2016 elections, the, the Cambridge Analytica stuff, um, you know, some of which had more to do with how, data, how Facebook shared uh, people's data, which, you know, that's a data privacy issue. It's a whole other thing. That's a real concern. But, you know, the pressure from the left has been intense ever since to try to force these companies like Colorado is trying to do to police, you know, what they consider to be dangerous misinformation. When, of course, we saw that come to its logical conclusion in the 2020 election in COVID, where they were trying to police what, you know, what was acceptable speech surrounding uh, surrounding election fraud and also what was acceptable speech surrounding remedies for COVID. And, uh, in, you know, they did this because they were under a lot of pressure to do it, uh, not just because because it would have been easier for them not to. Uh, and they, in my opinion, rather spectacularly screwed it up, as in fact they they must, because uh, you know the instant you start trying to, to become the arbiters of truth, as Zuckerberg repeatedly says that he does not want to be, uh, you know, that automatically entails a bias. And so you're you're going to be shutting somebody out of the conversation no matter what. And you know, and it's it kind of became one of those things where it's, you know, first they came for Alex Jones, and I don't I, you know, like a lot of people like me weren't really like super upset by that. But you know, pretty soon now they're coming after your stupid you know, Jeffrey Dahmer memes. And in the just and this this problem increased the more that they relied on algorithms because 
human speech is contextual, no matter how damn smart uh, a uh, an AI program is, until they get so smart that they're sentient and then they're you know then they then they enslave us all. Um, you know they 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 don't get the nuance of human communication. I mean, moder even human moderators can't fully get that because they don't get the context of a conversation that might be happening between two people on social media. But, uh, you know, I'll give you a really good example of uh, another one, kind of like yours, of how silly this can be. I mean, so Facebook, obviously, one of the things that they take down automatically is uh, stuff that you and I could both objectively agree is like super racist and hateful and like white supremacist. And, we're you know, it's pretty nice that I don't have to see that popping up um, organically in my feed, although I would hope my friends wouldn't post that stuff anyway. Yeah, but, bring um, up another conversation. Oh yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> uh, so thankfully that wouldn't be a problem, I hope. But uh, one of my friends is an avid military history buff, and he likes to post links about World War II. One of these links had it had a cover photo that had Hitler on it because it turns out that Hitler was maybe the pretty important figure to World War II. Go figure. Just a smidge. Because it, you know, because it had the swastika on his arm patch, Facebook's algorithm saw that and took it down automatically. When he appealed it to a human moderator, um, um, they they kept it down. Um, I know other people who have had similar stuff taken down, and they kept then they let it go back up. But you know, the instant that you start relying on automation. I mean, you can totally understand why somebody would plug swastika into the sort of image scanning, um, you know, uh, algorithm that that Facebook uses to police content. But it's like without context, you also take down very legitimate and I think important speech because I think you probably want people to continue to spread the awareness of the atrocities of World War II committed by the Nazis. So this, these are the problems we run into when the pressure is coming, you know, from one side to police to police more. And then, of course, then they can't win because now they're over-policing pretty clearly and pissing off conservatives. And now everybody's mad at them and wants to break them up. By caving to the sort of political left's, um, you know, demands after 2016, I think in many ways Facebook and Twitter to a, to a certain extent – set up um, perhaps the seeds of their own demise because there's just no winning when you're in a conversation uh, between two warring political sides, uh, both of which basically want to silence each other. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's, that's what people, that's what people are now labeling the Disneyfication of social media because you have Zuckerberg basically saying that he's going to intentionally go ahead and design community guidelines to limit the reach and engagement of political content. So it's like, okay, it starts there. And I know, you know, some some moderates in both the GOP and the Democratic Party are saying, you know, that might be the only thing to do. But I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can say sliding scale and then you'll say, well, that's hypothetical. But what we keep seeing is that this is how it happens. And, and we mentioned Alex Jones earlier, not to get into that, but it's like, you know, wh when it comes to this, to what was socially acceptable, we started at the far, far fringes when Stormfront got kicked out of the internet in 2017 after the Charlottesville riot, everyone was basically like, okay, that makes sense. Don't call it a violence. That, I mean, you know, we'd apply the same thing to ISIS. Okay, we're good with that. Then we kept going. Then we went a little bit further. Then we went to Alex Jones, who, you know, was not calling for violence and stuff like that. Was he saying some pretty socially unacceptable stuff? Yeah, and for some people that might be debatable, but that happened and everyone just kind of laughed. And, you know, we saw all that happen within a day, got removed from all his platforms, got removed from all of his hosting sites. They lost their banking access, which is a whole other terrifying thing. And that just kept going. And, and like Trump or not, it is really kind of terrifying when 
one of the biggest platforms on earth to directly communicate with people goes ahead and permanently bans the president of the United States. And now they're going after us. So if they can do that to him, I really don't think that we are libertarians is going to get our Jeffrey Dahmer meme appealed, which leads to another thing. I had somebody, because everyone's an expert on the internet, Josh, I didn't realize that, but everybody is. They brought up, well, you know, in terms of the algorithms and stuff, why not just have full human, uh, you know, a full human review team? And it's like, okay, let me go ahead and give an example. I didn't do it online for legal reasons, but let me talk about a hypothetical company that some of you may have known. It's French, apparently. And what they had was they had um, they had a a team of part-time contractors who worked for a community jury system and there were only a couple hundred and this french social media site had around 20 million people so we went ahead and basically with this community juror team was they would basically take all the reported and flagged content in the queue and they would have to come together within a certain window of time to assess with human standards and everything else and context whether it was really a violation of community guidelines. And one of the engineers I was talking with called me in and he's like, I think we got a problem. And I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, with our current team of people, unless we scale rapidly, we have 5,000 years of content to review. And I'm like, how do you assess that? And what he basically did was he created an algorithm for the average amount of time spent per the number of flag content reviewed and the amount of time it would take to go ahead and process um, the, the repeal, to go ahead and get points taken off of the person's account if they've been flagged for continual violations. And I said, wow, 5,000 years, that sounds like a lot. Is that from like the past year or so? Like give me some context. And he, you know, potentially hypothetically, metaphorically, uh, you know, spoke to me and said, no, that's just from the last 24 hours. And then a month later, the whole hypothetical, um, you know, completely, you know, just imaginary place happened to get taken off the Internet and everything else. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those situations where it's like you tried the exact opposite and you tried to scale as rapidly as possible for a fraction of Facebook's billions. And what you see is that, you know, even if you try with the best of intentions to purely focus on this one method of doing this, to compete on a global scale means that you're going to have to scale your capability and your manpower and resources to deal with that. And while the money and resources may have been there, that brought the hesitation of time and efficiency. And that's another thing that people don't realize because then they're like, oh, that's way too inconvenient. And I'm like, yeah, that's the thing. You have to find another solution because Facebook's solution was just take the human factor out of it. Well, that sucks, obviously. Then this hypothetical, you know, imaginary place I've been bringing up, completely hypothetical for legal reasons, tries to do it entirely with humans. And then when the idea, let's say, of some type of algorithm is brought in, it's like, no, because people don't like that. And it's like, well, people don't like waiting 5,000 years for shit either. But that's where we are. Yeah. And I mean, uh, kind of 
kind of alluding there to when you inject what they when you rely too much on the human factor to make these moderating decisions too and don't rely on algorithms to pull off at least the worst stuff um you know the stuff that nobody wants to see like videos of graphic violence and uh child exploitation things that are that are illegal that companies are obliged to pull down no matter what but that may may get past some algorithmic filters and into moderating decisions the human beings who have to make those decisions get exposed constantly to the absolute worst that humanity has to offer, literally, uh, visually, all day long. And there's all sorts of articles about the people, these contractors that Facebook, for example, employed to to do this awful job and sort of the psychological toll it took on them. You kind of need some people for whom that's their job in order to have a usable social media platform that is that doesn't expose all the rest of your users to that awful crap. But at the same time, you know, uh, there are some serious upsides to reducing as much as possible the exposure of any human beings, and that includes your own employees, to awful things that you can't unsee that could absolutely screw you up for life. So, uh, you know, this, it, that, that's, a, that's another factor of this that I think, I think people don't appreciate. And, and it's interesting that, uh, you know, they were already moving in this automated direction anyway. But of course, you know, one of, what was one of the things that really forced their hand was COVID. Because, you know, what you can't have when COVID hits is a giant warehouse full of people who are, uh, who are sitting on secured computers because they can't do this from home. You're looking at people's private messages and there's data security and, 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 and privacy um, concerns involved. And so you're in these you know, secure warehouses full of computers where, where everybody is like filtering through this stuff full time. Well, you know, in COVID, you can't have those gatherings of employees. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it forced uh, the so social media giants like Facebook to even more rapidly move straight into full on algorithmic policing of their content. And you, you noticed, and I think everybody who was on the platforms uh, noticed an automatic uh, sort of uptick in ridiculous stuff getting taken down. Yeah. And I, don't, I think it took a while for a lot of people to realize that, you know, some of that was just because, you know, like the the human moderators are uh, are locked down just like the rest of you. And, and I want to mention, you know, earlier I brought the example of my father and his liberal friends, everyone basically creating their own, not echo chambers, but really their own little worlds online where they just see the content, they're fed the content that they're more likely to engage with. Um, I mean, he, it's it's another one of the situations where we only see the conservative sites getting taken down. We only see like America's frontline doctors and you know that 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 Vax. Uh, I forget the documentary that kept getting pulled down. I, I genuinely forget it. It was the one that no one wanted to watch until it got pulled down, and that was made a martyr of. And it was oh, like pandemic, pandemic. That was it. Yeah, like Vox. Um, AJ plus the New York times and the Washington post, they actually got a ton of flags on their content because they were talking about COVID. And I think the New York times actually threatened to sue Facebook because of that. They're like, if you're going to start flagging media because of this, you got to get way more specific. And you didn't hear about it anywhere that you would typically get your news from if you're going to right of center publications. Why? Because you're just seeing the attack here. And you're just hearing all your people go ahead and, and get into the victim mode. But you're not going to go ahead and see it on that end. Not because you, you wouldn't care if you saw it. Not because there wasn't a story there. But because when we're so focused on the one side of the curtain, we completely ignore the other side. And that was one of those situations where it's like, I want to I dislike Facebook. I want to dislike Mark Zuckerberg. And I do. But not for the same reasons as everybody else. Because especially having seen it from inside where a lot of these really difficult decisions are made, 
we've created a situation where people just don't want to be inconvenienced in the slightest way. And I, I say people. I'm not saying some people or other people. I'm just saying everybody. It's like with data privacy. Well, I don't like these companies going after and tracking my metadata and selling it around. I'm like, yeah, you do. Because I see you posting about it on Facebook right now. And then you go over to other social media platforms and they, there's a there's a whole wellspring right now of them popping up where they don't have those same things as Facebook. And then you get mad because it's not like Facebook. And it's like, understand, if you want it to be like Facebook, it's going to have to come with those things that you don't like about it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm especially I, I would have thought this was going to be an easier argument to make to conservatives in particular uh, with their natural wariness of uh, of government being the moderator of what we get to get to do in life. But I, I'm finding myself having to point out to them, you know, I, like I understand you don't like what these uh, private companies are doing, um, but do you want instead the decision making on um on what gets to stay up and what gets taken down on the internet to be in the hands of a state regulator. Because uh, as much as these social media companies do have power over public speech and, and how they behave because so many of us use them, that power is granted to them by us voluntarily. They cannot, they cannot throw us in jail for choosing to walk away from their service. Uh, you know, as opposed to one of, the, one of the beautiful things about our First Amendment and how different it makes us than any other country in the world in terms of protecting free speech is precisely that even uh, is precisely that we can say whatever we want uh, and we can associate up, up to a, up to a reasonable limit with, with whoever we want. Um, you know, in, uh, in a country like, you know, you see in, in, in England where they've, where they regulate speech to the point where if you make a comment on Twitter, that's, de that's deemed hateful to say, I don't know, trans people or to Muslims, uh, you can literally have, uh, a cop show up to your door and tell you to knock that off. And that's something that's like almost unfathomable here. But the reason why that can't happen is because, uh, you know, the government attempting to do that, that would be struck down under the courts under this under under the First Amendment. It's a the but the flip side of the First Amendment is that it allows it allows platforms like Facebook and Twitter to make those decisions as to who they want to associate with. You know, just like we don't want to have to uh, the, uh, the bakery to be forced to bake the cake. Uh, we really realistically don't want uh, even Facebook to be forced to allow every person access uh, access to their to their platform to post publicly. Um, and and that, that's a concept that I think is increasingly getting lost in all of this. Um, and, and, and so you have some people then who reply, okay, well, that's fine. We don't want, um, you know, we don't want the government to be making decisions on what to moderate, but we do want them to be deciding that these platforms have to be neutral. And then this just goes right back to the original to the original point I made earlier, which is that neutral is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, you know, one of the ways that that these state laws have tried to go at this, that at least in theory has more merit, is is in, is in the idea of transparency. And I do think that transparency is one of the solutions to this problem that we have with the social media companies. Like people want to be able to have an expectation in advance when they sign up for this service, what kind of interaction they're going to be allowed to have uh, or else perhaps they might try a different service. And that, that, that sounds great, but some of these bills go and try it turns, to, it turns into like the Cambridge, the Cambridge Analytica thing though, because it's like, 
no one ever cared, you know, and, and, you know, I'll target specifically the left on this one. The left never cared that Facebook was bundling up your information, selling it to third parties. They were mad that Cambridge Analytica did it and they used it for Trump. Yeah, absolutely. So then it becomes the issue of, you know, whose definition of transparency, whose definition of neutral, because even that is something that, you know, l- legally there's a definition. It exists. It even exists, you know, within the industry of social media. You know, we have all unofficially come to an agreement of what that looks like. It, it's it's the application of it. And, and to kind of backtrack a little bit of it, with, with all these, like, let's say if the thing in Utah gets uh, gets actually signed by the governor, you know, at time of recording, it hasn't happened yet. I almost see that, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I'm trying to understand this. I don't necessarily even see this as a free speech issue. I almost see this as like an interstate commerce issue, because it's almost like Cuomo saying, you're not allowed to go to Florida. It's like, you can say that, but, but can you really stop people from doing that? Yeah, I think I think it's essentially both. I think the interstate commerce issue is is the one that's being focused on less right now, just because it 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 that gets that gets thorny and a lot and a lot more difficult to sort of adjudicate. Whereas there's a really clear bright line on the First Amendment as to what is what is freedom of association and not. I mean, like you know, you can read in my piece. I mean, Judge Kavanaugh as recently as as 2019 for the Supreme Court basically declared that you know unless the government uh, unless there's a compelling government interest in in the the speech that's being policed or regulated, uh, there is no government role in uh, in deciding whether or not it can be taken down. Um, and and so and but the of course the problem this is going to create for states is you know I think one of the things they're probably trying to do is force federal action, uh, whether or not that's going to happen. But in the meantime, what's going to happen is. You know, these are going to be taken to court because the First Amendment standards for what, you know, for, for, for compelled speech are so incredibly obvious. And so the, these absolutely will end up in courts. Uh, they absolutely will end up being struck down. And in the meantime, it's going to cause a certain amount of uh, of paralysis in the social media industry, depending on how serious they think the, the threat is of any of these things not being struck down. But, uh, but also it's going to cost these states a ton of money fighting this litigation. Uh, like you said, you talked about sort of uh, the the also the sort of just populist use of these laws as as kind of a, a campaign funding uh, tactic to get people riled up. I think there's certainly a performative aspect to this, but in the practical reality of it is that um, it's also going to cost these states an absolute crap ton of money uh, while this gets litigated in the courts and eventually, you know, struck down. And and that's also one of the things that kind of just boggles my mind, like. This does not, while of course, you know, everyone has an opinion on everything. I, I really think that this is one of those issues. I don't see like a big activist groundswell crying for this to be like one of their top issues, especially right, like right now. Like, you know, COVID is still a big deal. People are more likely to talk about the stimulus checks than anything else. And when people go ahead state by state, you know, and everything else, as they start talking about the things that are priority to them, especially as both Democrats and Republicans have their operatives trying to figure out how are they going to run a fic- effective campaigns for the 2022 midterms. This almost seems like something where it's like you have the politicians trying to convince the people that this is what they should really care about. And the people are basically saying like, nah, I don't want Biden touching my guns and where's my stimulus check, bro. And then, you know, you kind of look at that picture and like who, who are really – like I'm going to get a lot of shit from this, but like who are really the people complaining about this? And what are some of the key points? And just, just my observation 
it's fundraisers. It's, it's campaign fundraisers on the left and on the right. Because I can name at least five, three Republicans and two Democrats who all screamed during the 2020 election how their ads got taken down or their, or their, uh, um, or, or their targeted uh, boost capability was taken down because of one reason or another. And I mean, to do any type of political targeting on Facebook is horrifying. Like you've got to jump through so many hoops of fire for that. So when I really look at this, when I really go and see like who's writing the newsletter copy and who's actually putting out the, you know, the buzzwords for everything else, it's like, yeah, the, the facade is we're fighting for free speech and equal access. But then you go ahead and look and see who the Wizard of Oz really is. And it's not it's not who you think it is. It's the campaign fundraisers. And then you look at them and you just think, well, you're not the ally I thought I wanted nor are you the one I wanted. And that's why I think, give it a year, no one will care about this issue. Certainly, I would love it if that's true. Um, I, I will say... I've painted like the Zack Snyder nightmare hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, certainly at the state level, I would, I would hope that that's, that's largely true, particularly after the first one or two of these get struck down, then it'll be it's especially true. It'll not be worth the... Uh, Worth the effort. And, and, you know, the funny thing is that even though, you know, even though all of us, I think probably all of us have certain things that we don't enjoy about the social media experience, and there are some real questions about sort of what social media does to our society, these si- these silos of information and these these self-contained bubbles that you end up creating that you've you've described. But at the same time, if you actually poll, every poll that I've seen on, on um, is that the vast majority of Americans do still enjoy using most of these services. They don't like everything that they do, but they're viewed overwhelmingly positively. And I think people recognize that, uh, you know, that they, uh, they contribute a lot to our lives. You can have value judgment as to whether they take away more than they contribute, but of course you don't have to use them. And I think it's just one of those conceits we've gotten, you know, when a company creates something that is so successful that you can't imagine living without it, People start to feel a little entitled to it, right? Like, and 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 you can see this said explicitly where uh, you even had some even Republicans go so far as to say that these companies need to be treated like, uh, you know, like one like a public forum, but two, I've even I've even seen actual Republicans use the argument that they should be treated like a public utility because they've become ubiquitous. And apparently now that means that the public owns them. And that's just about the most Marxist thing that I've ever heard a, uh, a Republican say in my, you know, my 10 years doing, doing policy, but that, you know, that is how, in, that I, on, the, on the one hand, that reflects how important these services have become to our lives. And it's kind of a credit to them. Uh, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm sure that's not how they're feeling right about now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been joking that I've, I've stopped being mad at politicians and I'm more mad at the voters because it's like these people keep keep going back. And, and in terms of you know the states doing this, I, I I agree with you. There's no way that a federal judge is going to look at this and say, yeah, this is really worth our time talking about. And, and it's like many other things. It's like you can come there with evidence. Ultimately, you know, when they make these judgment calls before they even do a prelim hearing as to whether or not they can go and take it to pretrial to you know get everything else on the road. You're just going to look at it based on the merits of the argument. And the merits of the argument is none of this stuff really, really holds its ground. And, you know, I, I, I like Ron DeSantis. I really do. I think Florida is really the model for what the country wants to be in our COVID world. 
But I also look at this, and it's hard for me to divorce the fact that he's also a 2024 potential contender. And, you know, with Utah, I think, you know, I look at this from a political operative mind, and I'm like, huh, haven't Republicans been really scared about losing Utah the past two elections? And I see this, especially in a year where the incumbent president lost, and I think, huh, you have kind of a legal case that sounds like it has merit, but it really doesn't. And it's a really contentious issue, but people are also really ignorant about it. And you've got all these other things in. It's like, you know, I love it when I see targeted ads from certain publications on Facebook saying, Facebook is censoring us. Make sure you sign up here. And it's like, you just paid them to insult them. Like, and they're letting you do it because they know, and you know, that a lot of this might be kind of your fault. And as much as I want the Jeffrey Dahmer meme reinstated because it's funny as hell and I'm mad that we got penalized because of it, I also look at it and say, this is the environment we're in and there's only so much we can do about it other than just say, maybe instead of trying us to fight Facebook, maybe we should just take our own power back. Yeah, absolutely. And something I always like to remind people is, um, you know, uh, people tend to fall into this this trap. And I'm, I'm writing a piece on this, like literally right now, that should hopefully be out in in, in relatively short order. But uh, yeah, you know, they they fall into what uh, uh, this guy Ryan Bourne at the Cato Institute has dubbed market fatalism. So they, you look at what's big in the market right now, the big dominant companies there right now. You got the big five in tech that that collectively get referred to as big tech: uh, Google, Google Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, so people assume that because these are the largest and most powerful companies in the world, that therefore, with that power, they'll be able to fend off competition forever and ever. Amen. And they'll be our new overlords. And it's and and, and this is the new trust era where we got to break them up. And, and you know, this is all very appealing rhetoric because you know, instinctively people um, people tend to be fairly short sighted about realizing that uh, as long as markets are free and there's real competition uh, to be had there, monopolies, even if they are monopolies, which they can't be because we're saying monopolies plural, which you know that's a whole other thing. But uh, but that you know <laughs> no no monopoly that remains took, in place forever. A <laughs> yeah, a no monopoly remains in place forever unless basically the government helps it because we vote with our dollars. And if a company is behaving in a way that we absolutely hate, it creates a market opportunity for a competitor to rise up and do things differently, and then we take our business elsewhere. And I, I, I'm I, I don't want to be the guy who's saying, you know, build your own platform. Yes, that's hard. It's, it's, it's much harder to do when you're competing with somebody in the market that's the size of a Facebook or a Twitter. It gives them an advantage. But over time, you know, for every, uh, for every Facebook, there's a MySpace, you know, for every, uh, for, for every Google, there's a Yahoo. Um, you know, for every Netflix, there's a Blockbuster. And that 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 continues to be true. Uh, the, the the same top five companies that you're seeing in the market dominant right now will not be the t- the same top five ten years from now, twenty years from now. Some of these companies that we consider to be impregnable may even very well be absorbed, be go bankrupt, or not even exist at all. And and so you know when you when you view uh, when you view the markets through this sort of market fatalism, it leads to some really really bad ideas for policy outcomes. Uh, and, you know, I, I try to encourage everyone to take a little bit of a wider view. We should be grateful that we do have free markets. And if, and if you look at the history, they work. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, we, 
we, we put the cart before the horse in this situation. And I, I say this of every political conversation we're having right now. It, it's, it's why I've really, you know, pulled out so much of it in my life because I can only be told that everything is going to hinge, like the fate of Western civilization and, you know, grandma's apple pie and everything else hinges on this one thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think, you, you know, there's this conspiracy mindedness in my own mind where I'm like, you know, all these bad people have all the answers and they know exactly what they're doing and everything is going entirely to plan. And then I look at it and then all you have to do is just listen to them and do a little bit of digging. And, and they're as freaking clueless as we are. And they're like, man, I didn't want to be in this mess. Like part of me does genuinely feel like an ounce bad for Mark Zuckerberg. Because all he wanted to do was create a website to rate the hotness of his female colleagues, and now he's teaching old people on the Hill to use the internet. And I don't think he wanted to be in that spot either. So I kind of look at it, and I'm kind of like, you know what, man? I have some sympathy right there. And, and I agree with you. I think I don't necessarily think that it will be another competitor that comes out and topples them from their thrones currently. I think it's going to self-implode. I, I, I think it's going to happen sooner than later, too. Yeah, and and remember that's creative destruction. Every 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 company that implodes uh, creates an opportunity out there for something new to replace it. And 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 very well, um, you know, because we are extremely bad at predicting what innovation is going to look like and what technology is going to look like a few years from now. We can only conceive of it from sort of like our own our own perspective of the present now. Uh, you know, a lot of the times what ends up happening is that what takes these guys down is not an equivalent competitor in the market. It won't be another Facebook necessarily. It could be an entirely new sort of platform that we'd absolutely never thought of before. I mean, uh, when iTunes came and absolutely just dominated the hell out of out of out of basically created the digital the digital music industry, uh, you know, they for a while they looked at trying to break it up because they they uh, uh, because regulators were like, well, they've basically got a monopoly and no one's ever going to be able to replace them. Well, guess what? I mean, you know, iTunes has been has been you know broken up into its component parts and and discontinued by it uh, by its company by Apple and now people are talking about Spotify as the new as the new monopoly and that's the way this uh, always goes. Don't get, don't, don't get me started on Spotify right now. There are people right now saying that Apple need, Apple Microsoft because of Google Play and the Apple Store they need to start going ahead and regulating the content and podcasts. And I look at this and you know I'm actually like I'm afraid. Because there are people that would do it. But there's also a part of me that's like, okay, what's the business rationale behind that? And what Apple and Microsoft both know right now is that the moment they started doing that, there are so many other actually very successful platforms coming up that are already generating revenue by pointing out some of the flaws that neither of those directories had. You know, people don't realize this. It costs nothing to get on Apple, and Apple really makes no money from this stuff. What they make money for from is everything else, and you know it's it, it's a big complicated flowchart of how the dollar actually ends up back to them. But like Spotify, for example, Spotify has made it easier now. And this is not a pitch. I don't have any Spotify ads, so there's no you, you know there, there's no muddied waters of interest of that. But like Spotify, Red Circle, you know, it's one of the reasons why Spotify bought Anchor.fm. It's because they realize, what if we go ahead and pair podcasts with commercials and people willing to do that? So you have all these people 
using Apple to make money for them to make money for the podcasters. And if Apple started doing that, like, yeah, they own the majority of the market, but you know, slowly they're beginning to get further and further chipped away. So you could go after them, but what they know is that if that happens, a lot of the content creators out there, they're actually generating those, those millions, those Adam Carollas, those Joe Rogans, et cetera, et cetera. They don't need them anymore. They really don't. I mean, I, I, it's one of the reasons why they tried to really rebrand to Apple Podcasts from iTunes, because they're trying to go ahead and create new in-house features that a lot of their smaller competitors had a few years ago, and they're actually making a profit earlier than anyone expected. So it's one of those situations where I'm like, okay, Lib, go ahead and make Apple and Microsoft do that. Because they're going to look at you and basically say, yeah, it's not freaking happening either. So I sleep a little bit better at night knowing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird shit, man. Weird shit. Josh, I've taken up a lot of your time. I greatly appreciate it. Always like picking your brain on these things. Tell people where you're at right now and how they can go ahead and keep up with you and everything you're doing. Sure. Yeah. I just started a couple of weeks ago as the uh, director of technology policy at National Taxpayers Union Foundation. And so uh, this is going to be uh, going forward, the stuff that I focus on full time. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me on. And and I'm always happy to uh, to talk tech. Absolutely. You're going to get so many gray hairs from this. I feel bad for you. We're all going to pray you know, for you. I'm going, yeah, I got, I got the, the hair going on. I'm going for the Witcher look. I'm looking for the pure white locks. This should help that happen faster. Good luck with that. Okay, Josh Withrow, everyone. Hey, um, this costs you nothing but means everything to me, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts of all places. Let's people know what you enjoy about the show, what we're talking about, and it helps us expand this conversation, all the fun information we're getting given to you for free. And everyone else at the We Are the Libertarians Network, the Chris Spangle Show, the Brian Nichols Show, Gingerarchy, and everyone else, go ahead and find us at wearelibertarians.com. As always, be good, be safe. I'm Rumsey W. Martinez. Good night. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 